Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here for this week's Know Your Foe episode. Joining us from the Pittsburgh side is Alex Gazora. Alex, how you doing? Hey, Ken. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. It's it's about the happiest New Year possible here in Baltimore. It's It's gone exceptionally well for Pittsburgh these last couple of weeks. I thought, you know, we, we've been through the players in the first episode. You always do a great job with that. Um, the second time around in the division, we like to, to to really focus on some individual topics related to the team. But why don't you start by taking us through kind of this very odd path the Steelers have been on this year? It's odd to most people, to Pittsburgh fans. It's the way things happen. Lose to a pair of two and ten teams. The season seems and feels over. And then... You know, Pittsburgh, they they do their best work when backed into a corner with left with no other options. You get the quarterback change to Mason Rudolph, and he rattles off two wins against the Bengals and Seattle. Pittsburgh scoring 30 points in back-to-back weeks for the first time since 2020 and just really a revival of an offense that had been sputtering throughout the season. So Pittsburgh now sitting at 9-7. and seven. Do not control their destiny, need some help, getting some help by Baltimore, presumably resting their starters, but have to, they actually don't have to win this game to get in the playoffs, but that'd be the the most ideal thing to occur, but they will need some help regardless of outcome on Saturday for Pittsburgh to uh, advance. Explain this other scenario to me where they get in with a Denver win and some other things. Tell me about that. It's actually not as improbable as you might think. So the scenario, if, if Pittsburgh loses, what they'll need is, Denver to beat the Raiders, Jacksonville must lose to Tennessee, and the Colts and Texans cannot tie. And so what that'll create is a big tiebreaker. Instead of head-to-head matchups, it's going to go to, I think, either divisional record or conference record, and Pittsburgh wins out there. So there actually is a relatively realistic path if they lose to Baltimore. Okay. All right. Very, very interesting. Okay. So the, the the hard one being that Jacksonville has to lose that game at Tennessee. A lot of people are depending on that. Because so, so Jacksonville losing at Tennessee, if Pittsburgh wins, they're in anyway. So Correct. It's, it's a game they really need to, to go their way. Uh, but they also could get, get a little bit fortunate and have Miami beat Buffalo. Although Miami appears to have an awful lot of problems at this exact moment. Right. Scenario to get in in, with a win is Jacksonville or Buffalo to lose. And right now, not sure which feels more likely to happen. Probably Jacksonville losing. So Pittsburgh will be big Titans fans this weekend. Right. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, This is third quarterback of the year now for Pittsburgh. Yeah. Started with Kenny Pickett and then. Uh, he got hurt against Arizona to start December, and then they turned to Mitch Trubisky, who was just a mess and part of that losing skid. And then for the Bengals game, turning to Mason Rudolph, who will be the starter for this game and any potential games that are played in the playoffs this season. Rudolph is the guy the rest of the way. Dave, Dave uh, Tomlin has announced that publicly, or you just uh, well, believe so? Uh, that's more my inference, the latter. Rudolph will start this weekend against Baltimore. But listen, if you win three straight games with Mason Rudolph, get in the playoffs, you're not turning away from Good Rudolph point. at that point. Yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, obviously, they're not turning away right now. So, you know, one of the things I've been hearing a little bit is just Pickett not taking this benching particularly well. Tell us about that. Well, I'm sure that's rooted in some level of truth. He's a competitor. He's lost his job. He's been demoted. And this week, Tomlin could not play the health card. You know, last week, he kind of kept things vague. Well, Pickett's, he's working his way back. We'll see how he looks. We'll play things by ear, even though we all knew Mason Rudolph was going to be the starter this week, you know. Pickett is healthy. He's been medically cleared. That happened before the Seahawks game. There's been some rumors and reports, which Pickett refuted very strongly on Tuesday, 
about him refusing to be the backup or emergency quarterback. And he said, all of that is false. I can't speak to what's fact and what's fiction. Um, it was a bit weird for him to not even be the emergency third quarterback, considering he was medically cleared and deemed healthy. But I've also have a hard time believing he would refuse to be uh, the backup, just kind of given the character of, of him and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know, but I do know Pickett will be the number two against Baltimore. Now, I think I also heard that he wasn't even there wearing a headset on the sideline or, or just being present to try and give some advice to Mason Rudolph to the degree that would be reasonable um, on the on the sideline for that game, for the Seattle game. Is that true? I had not heard that about the headset. I'd have to go back and check. They sat on the bench next to each other, so it wasn't like okay. Pickett was somewhere far off. So, again, I can't speak to the exact validity of that, but Pickett was there right next to Mason Rudolph on the sidelines. Okay, what you're saying already contradicts what, I, what I've heard, which means I, I probably got it from a crap source. So uh, so Pickett was there is the, is the, yes. is the point. It wasn't a matter of uh, – but he, but, he, but he wasn't activated for the game, right? Correct. He, was, he did not dress, not even in that emergency capacity. Uh, so where do the Steelers go forward in, in this? I mean, it, it, Rudolph is a free agent at the end of the year. Is that correct? Correct. Which has another layer to it, because if you want a couple of layers, okay, Kenny Pickett, the future seems murky right now, whether the team wants to admit it or not, when you're benched for the former third string quarterback, the history of that probably does not bode well for a guy like Kenny Pickett in, in, in his shoes. Um, even though Pittsburgh may have him as a starter next year, the questions are going to linger. There's going to be an offseason conversation. What is the quarterback of the position? Mitch Trubisky, there's a roster bonus uh, due in March. They are unlikely to pick it up, but we'll see. Mace Rudolph, as you said, a free agent. And the layer that I was going to mention was Mace Rudolph is making himself a bunch of money right now, given the scarcity of the quarterback position, how in demand it is. You string together a couple of good games, teams are going to throw some money at you. Mitch Trubisky got paid. I think over $7 million per year when Pittsburgh signed him when he was the backup in Buffalo the entire season, played 33 snaps, barely played through one interception, and he got paid you know a fair level amount of money. So if Rudolph continues this success, he's going to cost more than a backup contract to the point where you may have to pay him starter money. You may have to decide in that moment, is Rudolph your starter or not, given the contract he may demand if he hits the open market. So Rudolph will be entering his seventh season, is that correct, next year? He got drafted in 2018. I yep. checked my public math on years, but uh, yeah, somewhere around there. So seventh season. So okay. So same as Lamar is. So uh, this is is this an interesting situation because this is not a time when a quarterback would want to take a one year prove it deal. I wouldn't think, and particularly not after he thinks he's proved it over a three week period at the end of a season of playoff football. Sure, this is his time to cash in. He's yeah. been taking one-year deals. He, 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 I mean, he became a free agent last year, and he sat in free agency for months until right before the draft when he signed a one-year deal for the minimum to Pittsburgh. So, he, you know, this is his one chance to catch a long-term deal. Now, if he has a terrible game against the Ravens, that may change things. But if, if things trend in the direction, even if Pittsburgh gets eliminated because they don't get the help that they need, if he has a good game and plays well against Baltimore and wins, you got three solid weeks of, of play I don't know what that dollar amount's going to be, but it ain't going to be cheap. Okay. All right. That's It is really interesting because there seems to be a lot of money on the line this this year. Now the Steelers for cap space next year. Uh, Dave Bryan handles the cap stuff more than I do. They're generally in good shape. There is no big pending for agent to sign right now or big extension they have to do this offseason. So um, they're, they're going to be generally in, in solid shape. They're not going to be you know cutting players like the Saints to try to get cap compliant. Got it. Got it. Okay. 
And the Ravens will be, of course, allowing a lot of free agents to walk this year with the with the situation they have. All right. And, and for Pickett, obviously, um, he's still on his first contract. This is year two for him, right? Or is it three? Correct. We'll be going into year three next year. Okay. So in in those terms, um, they've, they, they have to make a fifth-year option decision on him, right? Because he's drafted number 20, right, in the first round? Well, that'll be next year for the fifth-year option. For this oh, may be Najee Harris. Yeah, so there's still some time to, to decide on Pickett. The Harris situation will be interesting whether or not they pick that up. He's played really well in recent weeks, but running backs and guaranteed money, we'll yeah. see. All right, a hey, good point. Um, okay, so so for Pickett, there there isn't a decision point coming immediately up. The, the, the decision point is Rudolph. Pickett will be the backup here, presumably. I guess Pickett could be traded. Um, in before the coming season, if they really decided that they wanted to go with Rudolph and Pickett was just jumping up and down like a five-year-old. It's a conversation that I'm sure will come up. I mean, A, as we've talked about, what will happen with Rudolph contractually? Where Will he be in Pittsburgh next year? There's no guarantee of that. Um, you know, the trade type of stuff is, is probably a little too far down the road. Um, you're going to hear a lot about Justin Fields and Kirk Cousins and draft prospects. So, We'll see on all that, but at this point, I mean, I, I would just say it's very open-ended, and, I, and I'm I'm not making any declaration about Mason Rudolph. I think teams can get fooled by small sample sizes. Rudolph has been fantastic, and I appreciate his professionalism, his play, uh, him being patient, and he deserves this opportunity. But you know, with with Josh Dobbs and Tommy DeVito and those kinds of guys, you, you catch lightning in a bottle for a couple of weeks, and then things kind of go up in smoke. So I just don't want to ride that roller coaster of what Rudolph is or is not because you can hop on and off that, that train all day long. So I'm going to watch this thing unfold. Rudolph's playing really well right now. I'm happy to see him get the opportunity. All right. Life is good. Uh, let's talk about the biggest surprises for the Steelers this year. Yeah. I mean, for the most part of the season was the offense, not making that jump. Kenny Pickett, not making that second year jump. George Pickens, not making that second year jump early on the offense, just really being stuck in the mud, the run game, not being strong enough early in the season. Um, that's probably been the biggest surprise, just the struggle to get some points and some sort of offensive consistency that they're, they're finally finding right now. And then just, you know, losing some of those just crushing games to Arizona and new England, when you're sitting there seven and four back-to-back home games against two of the worst teams in football, you feel like you'll go nine and four, challenge Baltimore for the AFC North, and then everything kind of crumbles there. But I just think overall, offensively, just not having the jump and the not meeting expectations of the preseason that were pretty high and justifiably so was disappointing. Okay. Uh the the defense has been mostly as good as advertising. Obviously, some some questions coming up now with safety, right? For the for the Steelers. Yeah, right now, I mean, they've been really just hammered by injuries down the middle at inside linebacker and safety. They've been on fifth and sixth string safeties. They moved Patrick Peterson from corner. The safeties actually played pretty well there. They pulled guys out of retirement, Miles Jack, Blake Martinez, Eric Rowe from the practice squad. He's been starting at safety the last two weeks. So they've really been just hit hard by a ton of injuries down the middle. They're getting burnt by tight ends. Uh, down the seams have been a big problem. Make if it's Patrick's been hurt for kind of the back half of the year, um, not looking great to play against Baltimore. We'll see as of uh, this recording. So they've really just been just beat up by injuries. All right. The, the, uh, and inside linebacker, you mentioned already uh, going to players like miles Jack and whatnot. Now is miles Jack is not retired at this point, or he came out of retirement to play here. Came out of retirement. He was a free Pittsburgh released him this past off season. He was in Philadelphia in the summer, retired, became a pilot, 
owned a hockey team and then <laughs> Pittsburgh came calling and said, you want to come back? He was on the practice squad and then he's going to be starting at inside linebacker in this game. All right. Bought the Charleston chiefs. I bet that's great. <laughs> uh, if anybody, if you haven't seen that movie, by the way, Slapshot, great movie from the 1970s about uh, minor league hockey. It's very funny. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, uh, the other things about the Steelers, Tomlin, obviously a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Tomlin's future uh, seemed in question at some point. And there's always a vocal, vocal minority that wants to fire the head coach in any town. The Steelers very much had that on the boards. Has that settled down at this point? It has. Now, if they lose this game or if they don't make the playoffs for any reason, those things will come back up. And again, there's always been some validity to the criticism for myself included of this team has not won a playoff game since 2016. And that's a problem. The never had a losing season streak and claim continues and good on him for that. But that's not the standard in Pittsburgh. But certainly we're not hearing about the trade rumors and firing talk. We, we spoke last, Ken, even though things were going in a bad direction, I was pretty confident Mike Tomlin was going to return. He is going to return, you know, what the rest of the coaching staff looks like in terms of the OC, a hire to be made there, likely some positional coach changes and things like that. But really, to me, it was more of a question of will Tomlin receive an extension? I, it sounds like he will at some point in the offseason, but I can say with complete confidence, Tomlin will be the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2024. All right. All right. Well, very good. That clears up any questions from the last episode for sure. Um, is there a, uh, in terms of the offensive coordinator, does Tomlin have complete authority to hire his guys within the Steelers concept or within the Steelers uh, organizational construct, or do they have to go to ownership or the general manager to get approval for, you know, head coach, sorry, for assistant coaching hires? The inner workings are frankly a bit murky in part because they have not made an outside hire at OC since hiring Todd Haley many years ago. The last two uh, OC hires have been internal with Randy Feetner and then Matt Canada. So there has not been as much history to really know these things. I, I think Tomlin certainly has the bulk of the control over how this team is run start to finish. There is going to be, of course, a check-in. In, on Art Rooney, he signs the checks after all, so you have to c confirm with him. But I think Rooney basically is going to give Tomlin the authority to hire the guy he wants to hire. Just as one example, as we kind of know the hiring process, uh, Tomlin once told the story when he hired Brian Flores to be the defensive assistant linebackers coach. All he did was call Brian Flores and say, you want a job? And Flores said yes. And Tomlin said he walked down to Art Rooney's office and said, hey, Art, I want to hire Brian Flores. And Rooney said, great. And that's how they hired Brian Flores. So I don't know if it's going to be that simple this time around because it's a very crucial hire. This is going to be the most crucial hire Mike Tomlin has ever had to make. You got to get this OC hire right and right immediately. You can't wait a year and say, let's find out in 2025. So there's going to be some, they're going to do some soul searching and, and, and make sure they get the right guy. But I think Tomlin is generally has the authority to to lead that search. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it is a little different in Baltimore. The 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 operations are extremely siloed in terms of who has responsibility for what. And a lot of that comes from uh, the organizational background and and the, how how Bishotti made all his money in hiring professionals, and so Harbaugh really has all the ability to hire his own assistants and whatnot. That has at times been criticized that you 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 need to leave open the opportunity for competition from your direct subordinates, and if you let somebody make every hire without any questioned approval about that, then then it leaves open a you know, a, a potential for hiring weakness. I don't really believe that's been true, by the way, in Ravens history. I don't think they've they've uh, had a set of coordinators that you could say, 
this is a this is a lousy Harbaugh hire, but they did have an internal hire of Wink Martindale, who was probably he was at the time in the top three defensive coordinators the Ravens have ever had. I don't think that's true anymore. Or sorry, let's say he's dropped a notch from wherever he was because McDonald has been so good. Um, but but anyway, Martindale, you know, extremely good coordinator, but internal hire that not people didn't really know that much about. And you know, my own position at the time was this is defensive coordinator for the Baltimore freaking Ravens. You know, there's almost no coordinator position in the entire NFL that's as attractive as that. Okay. If you get the OC coordinator position for the chiefs, yes, that's more, that's more attractive, but it's in the top five to seven positions in the entire NFL to, 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 to come into this kind of a pedigree defensive organization. And, and, you know, I thought this is an opportunity to open this wide up, see whoever you can get to apply for this job. They didn't do it. They, they let Harbaugh, you know, make the hire. He hired an internal guy. I think, you know, they had a succession plan in place. I was highly skeptical of what Martindale might do, but he really came through with, a, with, you know, I think very top flight four years here uh, before he moved on. And, uh, uh, it was it was an odd situation, but uh, but anyway, I I I respect the the way the Ravens do it. And it sounds like the Steelers pretty much have given have vested all that authority within Tomlin as well. They have, and even with the new GM Omar Khan, you know sometimes a new GM comes in and there's some friction there, different ideas. Yeah. But Khan has been in Pittsburgh since 2000. They know each other as well as anybody. Khan and Mike Tomlin. But you're right, there can be some blind spots there if it's just kind of as an unchecked power and just okay, we're going to put the trust in you. There's criticism, rightfully so, on Tomlin from probably being too loyal and in, in, in focusing on the internal hires. There's been a lot of those and some coaching background guys that he's known over time. Think about they've had so many offensive line coaches in past years, and one of them was an internal hire. Literally, as Mike Munchak was leaving the Steelers, Sean Sreth, the assistant line coach, was in the room with him, and Tomlin went, okay, Sean, you want the job? Like That's how the hire got made, and sometimes there isn't as much you know, searching and interviewing and exploring outside candidates as it probably needs to be to make the best informed decision. And I think Pittsburgh is going to cast a wide net for their OC in 2024. All right. And and uh, tell me about the relationship between Tomlin and the general manager. Is, is that a situation where um, they each have separate and different authority or does Tomlin have a lot of overlap and over-the-shoulder things such that it's a strong head coach system where he has a high impact on draft decisions for example everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They always frame it as collaborative, a Steelers decision. When it comes to the draft, for example, they always frame it as it's made between three men, the head coach, the GM, and ownership. And I generally believe that. But certainly to your point, when you're, as like Harbaugh in a similar situation, when you're a 17-year coach in Pittsburgh in one place in any city, you have authority, you have pull. And yeah. I think Tomlin's role and influence probably grew a bit when Kevin Colbert stepped down after 2022 because, you know, Khan was first-time GM, again, working together for a long time, but Colbert was the one guy that was there before Mike Tomlin in terms of that position of power. And so it, it probably swung a bit more Tomlin's way. Ownership basically gives the guideline of here's how this offseason should look and then Khan mm -hmm. and Tomlin will execute 
that vision. So Bart Rooney says, he said this in the past, I want to improve the run game. That can be done in a dozen different ways, but it has to get done. That's the vision. And so that was a directive after 2021, for example, and or after 2020. And then they draft Najee Harris in the first round of 2021 and try to beef up that offensive line. So ownership kind of sets the tone. And then Tomlin and Khan or coach and GM collaborate on how that gets executed. That's that is seems similar to the Ravens system. They go down to Jupiter, Florida, where Bashadi has a home and they have some a meeting or meetings for a day or two uh, down there and and uh, and make some decisions about the organizational direction. But in terms of the GM and and coach decision, for one thing, it's it, it, there had been discussed that there'd been friction between DaCosta and Harbaugh at some point. They actually their backyards are adjacent to each other out in Baltimore County, which is really a, a kind of an unusual uh, close situation, but they live in an affluent neighborhood, obviously, and, and, uh, and they're, they're adjacent to each other. And, uh, you know, I, even though, you know, DaCosta is the junior member in terms of age, he's also been around for the organization's 96 and Harbaugh has only been around since 2008. So while, you know, I think Harbaugh has all the accolades and he certainly can ask for certain players. He's had some notable big swings in the draft that he wanted. Devin DuVernay and and um, Ben Cleveland, in fact, were two players. I mean, DuVernay, okay, reasonable third-round pick, all-pro return man, but, you know, not maybe what you'd hope out of a third-round pick. And, and, and Cleveland, honestly, pretty big bust until three days ago. And, and uh, uh, really, uh, it wasn't a good pick. And a lot of people have said, you know, I, I'd like it if Harbaugh had less to say about the draft process. It was just kind of an observer in, in the room. You know, be in the meetings before the draft in terms of what needs there are, but then allow best player available to, to, to kind of flow through that. But it's interesting that, that, uh, that the organizational you know, styles, what, what, the, what comparing and contrasting we could do about that. If, if I could just add one other quick thing. One difference is between Kevin Colbert and Omar Khan. Kevin Colbert was a football guy through and through. He yeah. was a Blesto scout, you know, came up that organization personnel side. Omar Khan, it'd be unfair to say he's not a football guy. He actually got his NFL start on the coaching side, but he has predominantly been the business guy, the cap guy, quote unquote, he handled mm -hmm. all the salary cap and contract negotiation type stuff. And so he's not quite the football junkie that Kevin Colbert was or Mike Tomlin is. And so that probably also gives Tomlin a bit more influence and, and sway to the football side because he does this and has done this his entire life. And Omar Khan has not been around it to the degree that Mike Tomlin has. Do, do they have a information compiler among their, their, um, group of scouts who is the the guy who's playing together because usually when when you're when your general manager did not grow up through scouting it's it's much less usual for him to be a final authority guy rather than a consensus builder say uh, among his group so do they, do they have a guy a really strong voice that's one level down from Khan, um making draft calls it's hard to say for sure because there has been a shakeup in the front office and scouting staff. I mean, Omar Khan's first draft was last year. He got hired in May of 2022 right after the draft. So last year was kind of the first run of what that looked like. It felt, and the results were pretty similar. I would probably say Mark Sadowski. Uh, they went to Tulane together, Khan and, and Sadowski, and they knew each other really well. And so whenever Khan got the GM job, he hired Sadowski, who I think kind of carries a pro in college, just catch-all personnel. He might be that kind of guy. I can't say that with complete confidence because there has been that shakeup and that change, but if there was probably one guy is that in between, I would probably say it's Mark Sadowski.
Okay. Any reason why we will not see all of Pittsburgh's players this week? You're talking about just injuries in general? If if you have if there are other people newly on the injury report in particular or on mm-hmm. the injury report that are still there who are questionable for the game, certainly let us know okay. that. Yeah, I mean, it's we're recording this Tuesday night, so it's still a bit early, but Mika Fitzpatrick did not practice on Tuesday. He's been out since week 15 with a knee injury. It's not looking great for him. We'll see. Maybe he comes back limited and, and tries to give it a go. Landon Roberts, the inside linebacker, hurt his peck in week 16. He was a DNP on Tuesday. That was an estimated report of walkthrough, but again, not promising for him. So Pittsburgh uh, likely to be down their top three inside linebackers on the season. Juan Alexander, Cole Holcomb have been out for the year for many weeks, and Roberts has been out since week 16. Again, they're really thin at off-ball linebacker right now. Beyond that, again, the safety injuries in general. Trent Thompson with a neck injury, he may come back. DeMonte Casey's out for the year, out for the regular season due to suspension for that hit in the Colts game. So again, just kind of concentrating on the middle of that defense um, has been an issue. Two guys you'll see on there, Najee Harris, the running back, Isaac Say, Molly, the left guard. Uh, sometimes they don't practice, but they're just battling injuries. They played in every game. So you may see those names, but expect Harris and Say and Molly to play. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, and uh, Ravens, obviously, they they probably have about 15 to 18 players, 15 anyway, who could really benefit from uh, taking time off working through some injuries, you know, it's, it's all the regular names. It's Beckham. It's, it's Stanley Moses, uh, Williams in the, on the defensive backfield, Hamilton. Um, but they just, they have a ton of names. The problem is you just can't put them on the bench. You, you, you need to be able to field a football team. And what, what may happen with some of these guys is that they'll, they'll have backups that'll play some positions. I do think Ben Cleveland will play in place of Kevin Zeitler again. It is an absolutely freaking enormous game for Ben Cleveland. This is a pivotal game in his career in terms of determining, you know, whether the Ravens try and work with him or maybe draft a guard. I mean, it could be could be that big. They have another guy from last year's draft who's still around, but um, a lot is going on for the Ravens, and I think they will they will have some backups playing on the offensive line. Uh, they'll obviously have a backup quarterback playing. There's no way in hell they're going to put they're going to put. Um, uh, Lamar Jackson out in a snowstorm, which, by the way, I don't know if that's been on the radar yet, but but it's supposed to be snowing in Baltimore. Mm. No, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, beginning the day before and ending midnight after the game. So um, it, it'll be, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 potentially you know one of the most affected weather games. So that Lamar will not will not play, and we'll see if it's maybe Melvin Gordon taking the carries and and you know a, a little risk taking there is appropriate where. Um, Hill and, and Edwards have both been pretty damn good this year and, and uh, wouldn't want to take a risk with them. So anyway, they're, 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 there's going to be lots of guys who are active and they won't play. There's going to be other guys who are who are inactive entirely. And uh, and I, I think I, you know, I've watched, seen the line. It's, it looks at four the last I saw. It, the Steelers minus four? I believe so, yes. Yeah, that even seems a little thin to me um, in, in terms of, of what I think the Ravens are likely to field for this game. They, the Ravens have some record ball they're chasing. I hope they don't really go after that. You know, the hundred, hundred yard rushing games probably gets ended here. I would think, um, if I had to guess also, I'd say that the, uh, even though I think they will run the football a lot. Um, I think that they'll, uh, uh, the yards per pass or yards per attempt stat. You would tell me about some, some record last yeah. time we spoke. So it's that, that they, they have fallen off. They are now up in the 4.75 range or thereabouts. So it's already about 0.13 higher than the team record. Um, but they're, they're well higher now than the 2008 Steelers. So that was where they had been uh, had been doing really exceptionally well in the, in the beginning of the year. Still extraordinary for, for sure. this time in pro football, but it's but it's not uh, 
you know, it's not the record it was. And I don't expect that's going to get a lot worse if there's a snowstorm, but hey, who knows? True. L- let me ask you just really quickly, who would you say the Ravens, you are either definitive or have a high degree of confidence, will not play? Lamar, I assume Kyle Hamilton with the injury won't go. Roquan Smith, I can't think he's going to be out there, but you, you tell me who you think. Yeah, let five me, or six guys. Uh, well, it's, or maybe it's like a, I'll, I'll give you the whole list. Okay. Hamilton, I say, does not play. Humphrey injured his calf in this game. I'll be shocked if he plays. So he injured his calf trying to block a field goal. Stephens didn't go at the beginning of the game, uh, warmed up, then just decided he wasn't quite ready. I don't think he goes. So right there, your top three defensive backs are out for the for, for the game. Uh, Patrick Queen got spiked by Tua on their last meaningful offensive snap. Came out. We haven't seen him since. Uh, my guess is Patrick Queen sits this last game um, or maybe dresses but but doesn't doesn't play. Could be that. Roquan, I think probably the same thing. I think they'll go with Trenton Simpson and um, uh, who's the other guy? Phil, Delshawn Phillips, an inside linebacker. So I think both those guys will sit. So we're really talking about just about everybody now. Sure. Um, Marcus Williams can't believe he would play. He's had a pec issue the whole year. It's impacted his tackling. I think he, they three weeks of rest could really help him a lot. Or maybe it can't help him a lot, but I don't think that putting him on the field is a good gamble anyway with the risk of further injury. Daryl Worley, concussion in this last game. I don't think he's going to play. They're really short on safeties. If the Steelers' situation is bad, the, the Ravens' situation is 60% as bad in terms of their current situation at safety. Um, Beckham, I think, will sit. He only had one catch and 18 snaps in the last game. Flowers had an injury that he was nursing through. He may play. Um, you know, being a, a wide receiver, he's probably taking less injury risk. But I, 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 he's so important to the Ravens' offense. I, I think they may really restrict his snap count. Uh, Moses and Stanley, both tackles, um, have been playing on a rotational basis today. I think there's a pretty good chance each of them. Uh, sits much more substantially in this game. They may each play a series or two, or they may just sit the entire game. And we and you see Falele and and McCary trying to stop Highsmith and Watt, which is not a particularly entertaining thought. Unless um, you're me over here, which yes, is a unless, unless wonderful thought. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zeitler, um, I do expect him to not play. Um, he he tried to warm up. Apparently, had a lot of difficulty as it was described to me um, this last week. And I, I think he'll he. If there's anyone who really, really is happy about the three weeks off, it's the Ravens for Kevin Zeitler. Um, and then the big news is that Mark Andrews um, won't be back for this game, but he may be back for the playoffs. And, and that's, uh, you know, there's some excitement around that. Um, the, the, the Ravens passing game has been absolutely remarkable without him. Um, so it's been, uh, been terrific, but, but that's a, that's a, that's a list of names that's fairly extensive in terms sure. of who the Ravens probably will, will try and either reduce snap count for or not play. Isaiah likely with his big game. Will, oh, he'll will, play. He'll be a young guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think they only, they only have two tight ends. So it's, it's likely in Kolar, but it could be a shift of snap count where um, if likely was playing about 80% of the snaps in Kolar, 30% this last week, and it might be, might be more than that. Maybe, it, maybe it switches this year, this week and likely plays 30 and Kolar 80. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think, I think you're going to, you, it's, it's going to be a greatly reduced Ravens team. And uh, I, I, you know, the other record ball thing they're playing for is to be they're the, currently the third greatest Devoa team in the history of Devoa through 16 weeks. That's going to, they're, they're going to have a terrible Devoa game this week based on how this is. It's not going to mean anything about what this team is, but it's sure. going to be a terrible game. I, I will just say some history 2019. You guys had nothing to play for Pittsburgh, everything to play for. You guys sat yep. Lamar RG three started, sat a bunch of those guys in, in Baltimore 
kick Pittsburgh's tail. Different circumstances, Pittsburgh a much better team than that 19 version, but mm-hmm. this this matchup essentially just happened a couple of years ago. It's just being replayed in 2024 now. Technically. It was very similar then, too. Pittsburgh had a chance to make the playoffs, and, and they needed, needed help. help as well. And, they uh, and they they weren't getting it. I know there was some consternation among the Steelers players about the Ravens continually showing that score on the board which they do anyway. They just rotate the score, but they probably put it on the big board or you know, mm-hmm. we're showing it other ways to try and... Uh, and it was discourage. raining, and you saw the, their chances wither away. It's actually really, I think, a good thing that Pittsburgh is the first game of the week. There's no distraction, no scoreboard watching. You just mm-hmm. go out there and play your game, and the chips fall where they may. So I actually really like Pittsburgh being the first game of the weekend. Is, it, is, it, is there anybody on boards or anything saying this sucks, we should be the last game. And that way we have the better chance to decide our draft fate. If we don't want to do this. I mean, it, there's no excuse for the Ravens and Steelers to be the last game of the year. There's none, no excuse for that at all. Pure competitive advantage for the, for the Steelers that they get it. But I do think Buffalo has a minor competitive advantage because they can know they'll be in and they could decide exactly when they want to cut it off and not play their starters uh, anymore in the night game. Yeah, and that's so correct. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't thought about it much, but, I've not really seen those complaints. Um, I mean, I think the focus is just, you know, win the game and, and go from there. There is always some section of fans that do not want to see this team win, would rather play for the draft pick and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm never going to tell a fan what to do, but I just, it's not in my, not in my DNA to want to see this team lose. Buy the lottery ticket. You never know what could happen. Yeah, they're going to likely be a one and done team if they get in, probably, but you never know what could happen. So, you know, that, get in the race and see what happens. Well, you know, I'm of the opinion that the Ravens are actually strongly motivated to lose this game intentionally tomorrow or on Saturday. And the reason being that if if there's a chance to get Buffalo out, you take it. And as much as I respect the Steelers and what they've done, and I kind of fear the Steelers in some way in terms of, of facing the playoffs, it's nowhere like I feel Buffalo in, in the playoffs. Sure. Buffalo is the one other Spread team hot. in the AFC who the Ravens are really untested against. But I mean... I get your point. What does that look like, though? The motivation to lose. Do the players not play as hard? Do the coaches not game plan? They're going to rest guys, but they're going to rest guys no matter what the outcomes might have been. That has nothing to do with you know anything a else. Whole, so a whole set of of white to black with a whole lot of shades of gray in there of sure. how you rest guys, and particularly when you have eighteen, you want to rest and not just six that you're deactivating. So it's the only group that kind of has to suit up and play this game. And I feel sorry for him is the defensive line. They have five guys. They've been healthy all year and they've got to, they've got to play this game. They could potentially bring up one guy from the practice squad. I don't believe they'll do it. I think they'll just try and get by with the, with the five they have, but um, it's, it's kind of unfortunate for them. They, they are a group that uh, doesn't deserve this in terms, <laughs> in terms of, of it, but and then in, in case, how do you arrest everybody kind of thing? Sure. And, you know, Matt BK probably wants to be out there for sacks and um, you're not going to be able to tell him no other than reduces snaps. So uh, anyway, you're in terms of how it looks, you can't tell the players on the field to lose, but you can make it very difficult for the players on the field to win by, by not, not putting that. the right plays in. Or Can I ask you just the most nerdy question of sure. all? I have to assume you guys will use your two elevation just to kind of round up yeah. the numbers. Who do you think those two elevations will be for this game? The safety Adams was elevated last game. and The Ravens are so short at safety. I think that's a sure thing. No idea on who the second one will be, but there are a lot of possibilities. Um, uh, Jeremiah Moon was a guy. I don't think they'll use it on him. Uh, he's an outside linebacker. I think they've got other positions where they might need it more. If I had to guess, Josh Ross would be the guy who is the a second-year inside linebacker. And if you're going to basically want to really rest Queen and Roquan, you might need to have a third inside linebacker. And he's also a guy who plays special teams that kind of rounds out the field that way too. 
Okay, just for comparison's sake, Pittsburgh's elevations are likely to be their starting strong safety and starting inside linebacker in Miles Jack and Eric Rowe. So just the dichotomy of where teams are at in Week 18. But uh, yeah. just wanted to pick your brain there. Yeah. Oh, that'll, that's uh, you know if if you're if you're worrying about me not thinking the Steelers situation is worse, I I, I completely <laughs> you win. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'll take my very sad victory lap on that. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, you're not coming to Baltimore for the game. I take it. No, I'll be here in Pittsburgh. Okay. All kinds of fun. Anyway, uh, Alex, always fun talking football with you uh, about the current state of the Steelers. You're the guy I really look to for that. Tell folks where they can find your work online and maybe talk to you if they want to. Yeah, SteelersDepot.com is the website. We always do a scouting report on Baltimore. Maybe tough to have a scouting report because I don't know what there really is to scout this week, knowing the situation the Baltimore is in, but we'll have it all the same. And you can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora, K-O-Z-O-R-A. I think you guys have had a fantastic season, man. Baltimore looks like I, I can't, I'm sure you can probably detect your weaknesses better than I can, but just on paper, a more broader picture, offense, defense, special teams, coaching, man, Baltimore looks as strong as anybody. The, the battle tested nature, beating quality teams, routing quality teams. I think you guys have done a, a fantastic job this year. I always appreciate the, uh, the confidence. Uh, and hopefully Alex, it doesn't come down to a, a big, uh, it, steel trap or something from Pittsburgh or from anybody else, frankly, in the playoffs. This is, this is their chance. Everybody's leaving in free agency after this year and it's gotta be now. Maybe I'm laying the the trap right now by saying some nice (laughs) things right now. You don't know what my plan is. We'll find out. (laughs) Yes. Your, your plan. (laughs) Uh, Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. If you're appreciating the show and guests like Alex, please leave us a little review. Tell us how great Alex was on the show and uh, and encourage uh, people to listen to the Know Your Foe episode or other episodes of Film Study. That's how we can introduce this via the podcast uh, uh, algorithms to uh, new people who watch the show. Alex, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.